Hello, I'm Vlad Maximov, and welcome to the next installment of Euractiv's series on cohesion policy, where we explore the European Union's project to decrease disparities between its regions and increase social, economic, and territorial cohesion. In this episode, we'll look at social economy, what it means, how important it is for the European Union, as well as what role social economy can play in the green and digital transitions, and whether it can be part of a holistic solution to get the bloc out of the crisis caused by the pandemic. But we will also speak about what the future holds for the EU financing of civil society organizations and the latest political developments in negotiations on the European Social Fund, Europe's main instrument for supporting jobs and investing in the Union's human capital. Social Economy Europe is the voice of the 2.8 million social economy enterprises and organizations in the European Union. I'm Victor Messiger. I'm the director of Social Economy Europe. I am a member of the European Commission Expert Group on Social Economy and Social Enterprises. And among other activities, we are the Secretariat of the European Parliament Social Economy Intergroup. I think to some people, social economy may sound like another vague term from the Brussels bubble. What does it mean exactly? And how is it different from the traditional economy? Because my impression is it's not just another term of art. Social economy uh, refers to a diversity of enterprises, embraces a diversity of enterprises and organizations. We are talking about uh, cooperatives in their whole diversity, from worker cooperatives to consumer co-ops, agricultural co-ops, renewable energy co-ops, but also mutuals that in Central Europe provide uh, universal healthcare uh, for citizens and that in many countries are an important player in the insurance market. Associations, which in many countries carry economic activity beyond being the way in which the civil society expressed this interest and it wills and uh, the way in which many citizens uh, participate in the political process or civic process. Associations in many cases also have economic activities. This is very common in Belgium, actually, uh, where many kindergartens are associations, even cinemas are associations or restaurants. We are also talking about foundations, social enterprises that are also very diverse in themselves, and many other legal forms uh, which are specific to each member state. This diversity of enterprises and organizations have a common identity. Uh, as the European Union, we are united in diversity and united among common values and among uh, common futures. We have a common identity. Basically, the main futures of the social economy are the primacy of people and the social objective over capital, people first, the collective interest first, capital and profit are a mean to achieve a societal, a social objective, democratic governance, one person, one vote, like in our democratic societies, and reinvestment of most of the profits in sustainable development objectives. So the social economy entrepreneurial universe uh, goes from the non-for-profit, from reinvesting 100% of the profits. The social economy usually reinvests 100% of them in the social mission of the company, in a in sustainable development objectives, in the local communities in which the enterprise operates, or reinvest most of it, at least 70% of it. And then another important value is uh, voluntary and open membership and autonomous management and independence from public authority. We are the economy of civil society. We are an economy that comes from society, from collective action. Uh, so by definition, uh, we are independent from public powers. The European Commission presented its first political initiative for the social economy in 1989, and the term, originally linked to France, has now spread across the Union. The concept since then has come to encompass the different businesses that always put people and the collective interest first. 
But how is its history linked with the EU? The idea is that the entrepreneur, uh, when starting a new business, should have a menu with all the options uh, to start a business with different purposes. Uh, starting an individual business, which is profit maximizing, it's not bad at all. You know, there are many SMEs that have a terrific social impact, let's say, uh, and that are fundamental for Europe's economy. The social economy has a double social dimension. The social economy is social, first of all, because it comes from society, from collective action, from civil society. It is an economy that uh, when the needs of the population are not covered by the state or by traditional enterprises, the population unites and creates a social economy company where there are no jobs in a specific rural area of Europe. People unite and create a social economy company. We have a lot of work integration social enterprises whose main objective is uh, integrating into the labor market and into the economy people at risk of social exclusion. What you described is clearly a, a very admirable goal, especially integrating people who might be exclu excluded from the market uh, on normal terms. But what would you tell people who say that these ideas, these forms of organizations carry a political tinge and may be left-leaning and ideologically charged. And if they are so, why should the EU finance and support something that is politically charged? This is something that we could hear coming from some member states. What would you tell those people? The social economy is very rooted in Europe's identity and cross-partisan identity. The European Parliament has a social economy intergroup. It's formed by more than 80 members of the European Parliament from the main political groups. Uh, EPP, of course, the Social Democrats, the Greens, uh, the Liberals of Renew Europe, uh, the left, and also some members of the ECR group. So we represent the diversity. Today, there is a cross-party agreement on supporting the social economy. Again, social economy is very much rooted in our identity. So for instance, Mondragon Corporation. Mondragon Corporation is the world's largest group of worker cooperatives and one of Spain's largest employers. It bears the name of a town in the Basque country where it was founded by a priest in 1956. It is owned by the workers to this day, with an average wage differential of about 5 to 1, which means the general manager earns no more than five times as much as those who earn the least. It had a revenue of 12.2 billion euros in 2019, and it has more than 81,000 employees. The social economy is, by definition, in the political sense, not in the economic sense, liberal. I think that difference between political and economic sense uh, and be, uh, social economy being liberal in the political sense, I think is super important to emphasize. Um, you mentioned that, you know, social economy does operate in different member states differently because of uh, the domestic laws. What role does the EU play in supporting the social economy? And is uh, Brussels doing enough to create a harmony across the single market so that the social economy participants can operate as smoothly as the traditional uh, economy uh, participants, so companies and uh, other entities. The European Union can play a driver role in promoting exchange of best practices, in promoting the uptake of new social economy legislation, including this form in the menu in many countries uh, where this form is not a possibility for entrepreneurs because there is no regulation. There is a growing demand of member states, both in the West and in the East of Europe, both in the South and in the North. I mean, social economy is, uh, is part of an ongoing business revolution, of an ongoing uh, citizen-led renovation of the business landscape. Uh, very much aligned with the values of young people. So we see a strong demand from all over Europe. We see that social economy actually 
replies to challenges uh, that are faced all over the European Union, such as social cohesion, creating societies where nobody is left behind, creating opportunities for all. We are talking about an economy that has a potential through collective entrepreneurship to reindustrialize our regions, not begging on international and external investments, using our human capital, helping our young people, for instance, in most uh, European cities and regions uh, to build together projects. I think is very interesting to me is, you know, the ongoing revolution and the demands of young people. And this movement does seem to be quite young. Another thing that young people managed to put at the top of the agenda in Brussels is the green tradition, uh, transition and the digital transition. These are really the buzzwords of the day. This is something we hear on an ongoing basis here. Um, how, what role does social economy play in the green and digital transitions and how can it help bring these about faster? Again, it's about... Um convening collective responses, collective replies to collective challenges. A lot of social enterprises, often employing people at risk of social inclusion, are part of a reuse movement, working on reuse, recycling, and repairing of products that we believe to be waste, but can actually have a second life. Such enterprises recycle, reuse, and repurpose more than 1 million tons of resources per year. The social economy model makes sure that the renewable energy happens that's the first point. And secondly, that profits remain where the energy is produced, that profits are redistributed and are at the service of the communities. In European cities where young people often have problems with access to affordable housing, housing co-ops are growing, bringing together youth and shared building projects. The appearance of the platform economy has also meant that self-employment is growing while social protections often fall. In response, some users of applications are deciding to create the applications on their own, giving rise to the platform co-ops collectively owned and governed by the people who depend on them. So we have a lot of enterprises that are growing in Europe under this cooperative form or associative form. So, you know, we've been speaking a lot of the presence of social economy in different forms of uh, uh, social life and economic life. Um, let's talk about money. Um, what, how important is EU financing for the social economy and why is it needed? So EU financing is important. There is more and more offer of European funding for social economy enterprises. But the reality is that the social economy, on the one hand, has benefited from EU funding, but on the other hand, is often underrepresented, actually, in the access to EU funding. Despite representing 8% of the EU's GDP, Social economy projects only made up 2% of funding under the last Commission's Juncker plan. The European Social Fund was and will remain an important source of financing, supporting programs on social inclusion and social economy. The EU Programme for Employment and Social Innovation, EASY, was another important instrument, which will be incorporated into the new InvestEU program that will also provide loans, guarantees and equity schemes in the area of social innovation and skills, with support for social economy among its main objectives. So expectations are high also regarding the next generation EU and the recovery plan, and we have a lot to do, uh, both in cooperation with the European Commission and public authorities, but also inside the social economy community, to be more investment ready and uh, to work better in accessing uh, EU funds. You mentioned the ESF, the European Social Fund. Um, I know that uh, 
some uh, civil society organizations and some other representative groups have been worried about the so-called co-financing rates uh, and during the negotiations of the ESF. Um, could you explain what co-financing rates are and why are these important for social economy, but you know, NGOs and civil society at large? In European structural funds, uh, co-financing rates are the split of payments uh, between the European Union, the regions, or other entities, the other co-managers. So between the European Union, the public authorities, or for instance, the social economy entities. This means that uh, with co-financing rates of 60%, uh, the EU will fund 60% of the project, of the program that is funded, uh, while the other operator has to commit to finding the remaining 40%. Funding these remaining 40% might be easy for public authorities, but it can be hard uh, for NGOs and social economy enterprises, particularly because most of our enterprises are micro-enterprises and SMEs. Uh, we might have problems in having the capacity uh, to commit to such high co-financing rates. We will be many times de facto excluded from the whole management of the funds. What are the co-financing rates that you would like to see? That's one question. And, and my other question would be, you know, you mentioned that social economy is essentially just a different form of participation in the market. What would you tell to those people that uh, would say, well, you know, if you want to participate in the economy in the single market or in any kind of free market, you know, you would have to meet sort of the survivability test um, that everyone else has. We do meet the survivability test. We are not a subsidized economy. We are enterprises that perfectly work, that make profits, but we are enterprises that should access uh, European funds at least on equal footing with other types of companies. Social enterprises face several challenges. They have more obstacles than the others in accessing EU funds and financial instruments and face a competitive disadvantage because of the primacy of social good. For instance, 80% of the workers of these enterprises, in many cases, are people with disabilities or people in a situation of vulnerability. Their growth is slower because they do not have big investors who would give capital injections. They can only rely on loans, while banks are not used to their specific needs. Most of work integration social enterprises in the European Union are profitable. Uh, do not live on grants. They live on the services and the goods that they sell in the market. Next year, the Commission has pledged to publish a European Action Plan for Social Economy, which should put social economy, um, you know, at least more into the public eye and uh, higher up in the agenda of lawmaking in the EU. What would you like to see in it? Uh, what are the most important pieces missing uh, in the European architecture for social economy? One very critical point is this heterogeneous development of the social economy in the European Union. Also because there is demand uh, from public authority. Romania, Slovakia, Poland, also uh, Latvia, all those countries have approved very recently social economy laws. Their public authorities are very much willing uh, to invest and to generate uh, social economy policies and social economy legal frameworks. But they are demanding to be accompanied by the European Commission not to reinvent the will, uh, to exchange practices with others, and also to learn from the mistakes that others have done and um, learn for, from instruments uh, that already exist and that are useful for the development of the social economy. As social economy is increasingly recognized in the policymaking process as another way of doing business, some say it is a policymaking revolution. 
Uh, we have to invest in the visibility of the social economy by society in general, by policymakers in particular, by future entrepreneurs, because that's the objective. Uh, boost entrepreneurship, boost social economy entrepreneurship and job creation. Uh, so visibility will be an important point. Uh, we said 2.8 million enterprises, 30.6 million uh, employees. This reality is missing in the settings uh, where policymaking, where important policymaking is happening, such as the uh, European Social Dialogue. While social economy was born in Europe, it by now has become a global movement, representing 8% of the world's GDP, according to the United Nations. It is strong in Francophone Canada, but the movement is also present in the US, Mexico, Latin America, and Asia, where Korea is becoming a leader. The global nature of the social economy has also been noticed in Brussels, where Nicholas Schmidt, Commissioner for Jobs and Social Rights, already announced that the European Action Plan for the Social Economy will have an international dimension. We have to recognize that both the Commission, the Council, with a strong role of the European Parliament, have worked a lot to mainstream social economy to generate those opportunities. Now we have to communicate among them, about them. Now we have to work on the capacities of the organizations to receive these investments and to receive these funds. Of course, no conversation today can ignore the question of recovery after the pandemic. What role could social economy participants play in the recovery? And how are circumstances different for these businesses compared to those in the traditional economy? We believe that a sustainable and resilient uh, recovery should be aligned with the values of the social economy. More cooperation, more solidarity, more democracy. Social economy can play a key role in rebuilding Europe's economic fabric. So the proponents of social economy say that it is more resilient since if employees own their company, they will hold out longer and maintain the economic activity that helps their local community in which they live and work. I have seen that the social economy model is a way to empower people. I have seen people that will never have become an entrepreneur under another form of business becoming entrepreneurs through the social economy. Collective entrepreneurship empowers individuals and allows them to build together a strategic, sustainable and resilient projects, projects of a certain size. And uh, social economy is crucial to ensure after this crisis that no one is left behind. On Wednesday, November 18th, the European Council, representing the member states and the European Parliament, struck a deal on the first element of the cohesion package, the REACT-EU, which will provide 47.5 billion euros in flexible funding to tackle the midterm fallout from the pandemic, and act as a bridge between the initial coronavirus measures, financed by reallocating existing funding from the previous seven-year budget, ending in 2020, and the longer-term objectives of cohesion policy. However, five other pieces of legislation of the EU's regional policy, including the European Rural Development Fund, the Just Transition Fund, and the European Social Fund we discussed today, remain under negotiation. To find out more about the latest developments, take a look at our regional policy coverage at euractive.com. This has been Vlad Maximov. Thank you for listening. And until next time. This podcast is part of Euractive's project, Let's Meet Cohesion Policy, a journey through regions, challenges and success stories, funded by the European Union. This publication reflects only the views of the author. The European Commission is not responsible for any use that may be made of the information it contains.